So I want to begin by basically making a confession. So I have to admit that whenever I pray the rosary, I always use an app. So back in the day, I downloaded an app on my phone, my mobile device, and it has like pictures and words and uh, meditations even that kind of help me stay on track. And so it, it might seem like cheating, but I think of it like praying using an icon. And again, it helps us stay on track. And so that's what I use uh, to pray the rosary. In any case, um, with the particular app that I use, when it comes to a third joyful mystery, the nativity of our Lord, uh, it has a really interesting image, basically. So obviously it has the image of the Holy Family, so there's Mary and Joseph and obviously the child Jesus. But more to the point, there's this really long lineup of people waiting to see the Holy Family. And we look at this picture, the lineup kind of goes on and on, right, through peaks and valleys, and never seems to end. And I have to admit that whenever I look at this picture, um, associated again with the nativity of our Lord, I always kind of laugh because obviously it wasn't like that. And so even right now, when you think about how it was back in the day, I mean, certainly there were people. There were, again, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. There were, um, you know, the shepherds. There were later on the magi. But apart from those people, um, not much else, right? So there certainly wasn't this long line of people. And Pope Benedict XVI actually talks about this with regards to the great star at Bethlehem, right? So basically what he says is that a lot of people would have seen that star in the sky. And they would have said to themselves, wow, that's really bright. That's a really bright and big star. But then gone on to the ancient equivalent of eating their TV dinners. Anyways, to kind of further illustrate this point using a, a more contemporary example. Recently, I saw this movie called Violent Night, right? So it's sort of a play on words on, on Silent Night. And uh, it, it's kind of a, well, it's not a kid's movie. It's not a family movie, but it's um, kind of a pseudo a Christmas movie. It's kind of like Die Hard, right? Like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Who really knows, right? But anyways, it's kind of like um, Die Hard, you know, but with um, Santa Claus as the Bruce Willis character, if that makes any sense. And so basically, in the context of Christmas Eve, there's this wealthy family. They have this home, which has been taken over by, by robbers, and they want to kind of, you know, gain the wealth, if you will. And Santa Claus just happens to be there delivering presents, right? And so again, he takes on the Bruce Willis role to try to save the day to rescue this family from the robbers. In any case, as a matter of background, if you know anything about Santa Claus mythology, you know that he has a list, right? So he has a list, he checks it twice, and based on that list, he knows who's been naughty and nice. And in the context of this movie, his list is sort of like a magical iPad, right? And so when he thinks about certain people or when he's in the presence of certain people, he can tell, first of all, who they are, so their names show up, but also whether or not they've been naughty and nice. And on top of that, their particular sins or good deeds. And this shows up most notably in the context of two scenes in the context of the film. And so basically in one scene, Santa's been caught. And so now he's tied up by the robbers. He's wrapped up in, in Christmas lights. And they're mocking him, right? So shades of uh, Jesus Christ being bound and being mocked by the soldiers in the context of Holy Week. In any case, these people, again, are mocking Santa Claus mercilessly, relentlessly. And so finally he speaks up. And he speaks up and he responds with anger. And so first of all, he names them, right? So he knows them by name. And then he names their naughtiness. He names their wickedness. He names their sins. And when you look at their expressions, they're shocked. They're taken aback. They're embarrassed even. But for Santa's part, the reason why he's angry is twofold, right? So first of all, because of the sheer fact of their wickedness, right? But also because they're persevering. They're choosing to persevere in their wickedness. So the unspoken thing is like, look, I know you can do better. I know you can be better. And so the fact that you're not corresponding to the calling to be great, to be good, to be holy, is really wounding to my heart. But you see, what's interesting is that this particular moment in the movie is meant to be kind of seen in contrast and in parallel with a comparatively more uplifting scene from the film involving this little girl named Trudy Lightstone. 
And so basically Trudy is this little girl who's a part of the wealthy family that's being held hostage. And she's perfectly cast, right? She's beautiful, she's young, uh, and her innocence and goodness even comes through in, in the tone and timbre of her voice. And she's talking to Santa Claus throughout the course of the movie using walkie-talkies. And early on in the film, basically when they first start to correspond and Santa learns her name, he looks her up using his magical list, right? And he sees, obviously, that she's been nice in contrast to everyone else who's basically been naughty. And what's more, all her good deeds come through on this list in this shimmering gold as opposed to this angry red font that you saw for the, the wicked characters, right? And so we see from the list that she listens to her parents. She cleans her room. She's kind to small animals. She's sweet to everyone. And on top of that, apparently she invited this weird kid to her own party. But more to the point, when Santa Claus sees all the beautiful and wonderful things that Trudy is doing in the context of becoming the person that she's supposed to be, it warms his heart, right? Because at this point in the film, he's tired, he's beaten, he's bloody, and he's kind of tempted to throw in the towel, right? Because it's so hard, it's so cumbersome, it so weighs on his heart. And yet the goodness of this little girl inspires him. It consoles his heart and helps him to persevere in the direction of the good. And I gotta admit that for myself, when I saw this particular scene in the film, I just started bawling my eyes out for a couple of reasons, right? Both of them relating, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first of all, with regards to this notion that Santa Claus knows who's basically been naughty and nice, it obviously speaks to the great omnipotence of God, right? God counts every hair in our head. He knows us through and through. He knows the good we've done and also the, the sins we've committed. But more to the point, it speaks to our great uniqueness in the eyes of our Father in heaven. Truly precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful. And so, for example, you and I can commit the same sin, but the Lord truly receives it differently whether or not that sin is done by you or by me. And it's not a ranking thing, but it speaks of our uniqueness as children of our Father in heaven. And of course, as this principle applies to sin, it also applies to our good deeds, right? And so whenever we choose to do the good, to persevere in the direction of virtue, to persevere in the direction of the Lord, the Lord receives it differently, whether or not it's done by you or by me. And you see what this means, practically speaking, is that when it comes to making hard, difficult, and challenging decisions in the context of the moral life, what can make this a little bit easier in a certain sense is to kind of take it out of the abstract and to make it more intensely personal in a sense of realizing that whenever, again, I choose to persevere in the direction of the good, it actually is extremely consoling to the sacred heart of Jesus. But that brings us to the final point I want to make with reference to this movie. And that point is basically this. What if we find ourselves in the midst of the big bad world? It's really easy for us to get discouraged, right? Because again, we're surrounded by negativity negative news, negative happenings, which seem to constantly impinge upon the mind and the heart. And again, in those moments, it's really easy to get discouraged and to back away, to back away just enough such that we're not actually being the persons that God is calling us to be. But the thing I would suggest to you is that precisely in those moments, when we're inclined to give into discouragement and despair, it's really important to not step back, but to step forward, to persevere in not simply doing the good, but becoming the good and holy person that God wants me to be. Without worrying about affirmation, without worrying about what the world thinks, without even worrying about how it all adds up in the great economy of salvation, but instead to simply trust that when I persevere again in the direction of the good, it is pleasing to the Lord. And I'm pleased by the fact that the Lord simply is pleased by what I do. That's the key to consoling again the sacred heart of Jesus and building up the salvation of the world. And may God bless you all.